you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're going to talk about that tune-up. Here we are, just starting into the month of April already in the year 2013. Maybe you just need a front-end alignment, a little tune-up, something to get you back on track with where you thought you were going this year. You know, I know there are people who are have been getting disappointments who realize what they wanted to happen isn't happening. But you know, there's a whole lot of people who are saying, my gosh, this is the best year I've ever had in my life. That layoff I got last year turned out to be a wake-up call for the dream I had. Now I'm on track doing what I want to do. We're going to be talking about how you can do that in your life, how you can be living the life that you've dreamed about. That's what we want to move toward. Got a quotation to start us off. Then I'm going to tell you some of the questions we'll be talking about. Quotation, one of my favorites comes from Thoreau, from his writing in Walden, where he says, I learned this, at least by my experiment, that would, if one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, he will meet with a success unexpected in common hours. Now that part we're usually familiar with. If one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, he will meet with a success unexpected in common hours. Now there's more to that quotation. This is like, remember Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. There really is another piece to that. As we know, Thoreau went off to Walden to live very simply. And the rest of that quotation says, yeah, you'll meet with success unexpected in common hours in proportion as he simplifies his life. The laws of the universe will appear less complex and solitude will not be solitude nor poverty, poverty, nor weakness, weakness. So the part of the principle there is we may be living lives that are just too complex. Just simplifying our lives may in fact help us to have a richer life experience. Well, we could stay there all day. We aren't going to do that. Here's some of the questions that we are going to be talking about today. Someone says, Dan, should I follow my passion or just become good at what I'm already doing? Dan, I think my former employer has given me a bad reference. And how about this one? This one, we see this in some form or fashion many, many times here at 48 days. But the question is, in essence, if I make my living doing what I love, will I lose my enjoyment of it? Well, we'll we'll talk about that circular catch-22 argument there. Someone says, how can I raise money for my nonprofit idea? Well, I'm probably going to have a whole lot of people hate me after I give my answer to that question, but stick with us. Dan, should I take the risk of a new job or stay where I'm secure? And then one, we may not get this to this one today, but I'll certainly work it in at some point. How can we raise our children to embrace their uniqueness? Somebody wrote that in response to reading my newest book, Wisdom Meets Passion, that I wrote in conjunction with my son, Jared. He said, how can we raise our children like you raised Jared? Well, I hope we have time to share about that. We'll see how far we get on all of that. Well, as usual, we got some great news to start out with. There's always success stories. Thanks for sharing those with me, incidentally. I love hearing these stories. 
and uh, it's encouraging to every everybody. I know that sometimes I too quickly jump right into the challenging situations, but we need to share the successes as well. This comes from Jacinta, I guess it is. But anyway, she says, Dan, I've been a faithful listener of yours since the very beginning, back when I had a two-person radio show. I guess back when I was had Joanna on the radio with me back in the early years. And I figured it was time I thank you for the impact you made in my life. I'm a 34-year-old stay-at-home wife and mother of two young kids, ages six and two. I've created things my whole life and always loved business. Five months ago, I decided to do scary things. Thank you, Eleanor Roosevelt. I had a quotation a couple weeks ago about Eleanor Roosevelt said, do something every day that scares you. Well, Yacinta is saying that she did that. And concerning my art, open to what I affectionately call my little shop. I create gardens, stones, and bookends and other handmade things whose purpose is to be a blessing and a light, thus naming my shop Blessing and Light. I want to give a little hope and encouragement to others out there that it is possible to make money with your art and doing what you love. It took me many years to believe that anyone other than my family would like what I made So it has been a humbling privilege to create for so many. I was determined to start and do everything debt-free. I started slow and small with young kids at home. Just focus on doing something new every day. Took me 21 days to get my first sale. And now, 124 days later, I've just surpassed 350 sales. This week, I officially became an LLC, and I'm working towards setting up wholesale accounts, I say this all to encourage people to take the risk to do something scary and start something that matters. Now she has a homemade business. She writes on rocks, like engraves on rocks. It's really cool. You can go to blessingandlight.com, just like it sounds, blessingandlight.com and see the work that she's doing. Well, thanks for that. 124 days later, it has surpassed 350 sales. I mean, that we would consider a success doing anything but her her work is really interesting she's obviously getting a building audience for what she's doing got a note from andy traub yesterday now many of you know andy if you're involved in the 48days.net community andy's one of our advisors there has been on a remarkable trajectory in his own business now they live in south dakota so it's not like you know they had to go find the right place to live in order to be successful. No, as I tell people daily, geography has very little to do with our success. Success is very much an inner game. So you don't just keep running around looking for the right circumstances. No, you do the right things, extraordinary things, and you can be successful pretty much anywhere. Well, Andy certainly has done that in South Dakota where they have family and have chosen to stay. Not sure Well, (laughs) that is why (laughs) I can't say I'm not sure why I would hate to have to live in South Dakota, but they live there because of family. And because of that, he's found his opportunities that allow him to continue living there, which is exactly what I recommend. But he wrote a little ebook about getting out of bed early in the morning, rise early. Now I'll give, I'll give you the link to that in the show notes. But anyway, he had in the first 50 days, he had over $15,000 in sales. No big publishing deal, but $15,000 in the first 50, 50 days. I mean, there are a lot of authors that get deals with major publishers that never make $15,000 from a traditional book that they wrote. Andy wrote it in a little ebook, but again, great success story. Justin Lucas Savage, another one of our 48days.net advisors, 
has gotten involved with a nonprofit that he's really passionate about, Exodus Road. And they're helping to free young gals from sex slavery, primarily in Indonesia, but other parts of the world as well. And as a way to fund that, they're doing online auctions. So they buy merchandise or have merchandise donated to them. They do online auctions. I'll have more details on that as well. He's going to send me a little overview. If you're a member of 48days.net, you will get, I'm going to have an update from him about exactly what it is he's doing, how he's funding this organization by having online auctions. But a great example of doing something extraordinary. Talked to Braun Lyde this morning, who's one of our coaches. He's in our coaching mastery program which is a fairly new program that we have. And if you want to check that out, just go to coaching48days.com and you can click down. You'll see a link to the Coaching Mastery Program. Braun is in that. He has a heart for doing church work, but knows that he needs to provide for a family with five children, which they have. So he's very responsible about that as well. But one of the things he's doing, among many others, I mean, we're shaping his coaching business and he's, he's already way beyond where most coaches ever end up. But recognizing, I'll just throw in a quick tidbit here. We know that 95% of coaches never make more than $40,000 a year. Now that's preposterous. If you're good at a coach and you want to do that and you want that to be your source of income, then certainly, I mean, how difficult can it be to figure out how to put yourself in that 5%? Well, Ron is way past that as we expect all of our coaches to be. If, in fact, they are doing this to make money. But one of the things that he's doing is he's hosting a location for the Chick-fil-A leader cast. I think it's going to be like May 10th or something. The same day all over the country. It's based in Atlanta, but then they can simulcast it to locations all over the country, which they do. He's in Austin, Texas, so he's going to host it. Now, he's got a really cool facility that's only costing him about 700 bucks to, to rent for the day. And so he's selling tickets for that. Well, you do a split with the LeaderCast home organization. But if you have 200 people show up, you're going to make a chunk of money in doing that. And that's what Braun is doing. Again, a great idea, just innovative things where you don't have to come up with something totally new. It's never been done before. Just like that. I mean, partnering with the Chick-fil-A leader cast people to simply host a location. Then you promote it in your local market area and you can make a chunk of money doing that. I mean, I'm sure we'll have it again here in the Franklin area. Last year I had the privilege of speaking at that, but uh, just look for unique ways that you can become involved, do things that are extraordinary. Anyway, those are some of the things that uh, we, we see people are doing that are giving them unusual kind of success. So again, go confidently in the direction of your dreams, identify what your dreams are, and then you've got something to shoot for. Questions from here. This one comes from Elisa in Ohio. Who says, Dan, I'm unemployed, trying to find a new job, but think that my former employer has given me a bad reference. I don't have them listed as a reference, but potential job offers might still call them and ask about me. I only worked for this company for three months, and I've held other jobs in the past for a year or more. Should I try to deal with this or should I even bother, bother to list this place on my resume? If I need to deal with this, how should I go about it? Well, Elisa, you don't need to waste any time at all because your fear is not really based in reality. A former employer would be idiots 
to give a bad reference to you. Now, I see that with all confidence, because even if you were a horrible employee and they fired you, they're not going to share that with somebody who calls as a reference. There are too many legal issues involved in bad-mouthing somebody. I mean, I've done this with people sitting in my office who were convinced that their former employer is giving a bad reference. I said, there's no way in the world that's happening. Well, yes, it is. I can't get a job. Nobody's offering me. Well, there have been times when I've actually picked up the phone, called the previous employer and said, look, I'm interviewing you know, John Smith here. You know, I want to see what you have to say about him. And with the thing on speakerphone, have had people go through confirming dates of employment only. I've never been able to entice somebody to give a bad reference for somebody when I have them on the phone. I mean, a company, you would have to be an amateur to do that, even if there was just reason for having fired you. I had a gentleman one time where we had gone through exactly that scenario. He had been fired and with good reason, but he was convinced that they were giving him a bad reference. He couldn't get any job offers. I called the previous company from right here in my office with him sitting here on speakerphone, went through, they confirmed dates of employment there. And I went all the way through. I said, well, if there were an opportunity for this gentleman in your company, would you consider hiring him again? And they said, I was talking to the guy that fired him. He said, if there were an alignment with a position, we would be happy to consider him. And it blew the guy's mind. But no, you're not getting bad references. You concentrate on making yourself a candidate that people want to hire. You focus on that rather than being concerned about somebody giving you a bad reference. For one thing, nobody's going to call to check references until they've already made a decision they want you for the position. They're not going to waste their time doing that. It's too time consuming. Try to connect with people. So it's usually an after the fact thing to call references anyway. They've already made the decision. They want you. And at that point, somebody could say, gee, she didn't work out very well here. They'd probably still complete the hiring process. So no, that's not something you need to spend time and energy chasing that dead rabbit. Um, somebody says, just wondering if you have read so good, they can't ignore you by Cal Newport. He basically says the follow your passions advice is all wrong. Dangerous. In fact, because he says that's what leads to so many people being dissatisfied with their current jobs. He says people should focus on becoming really good at what they're doing now. And as they become masters at it, then the passion will follow. It's basically, well, I'm not going to go on with it. Now, so he wants my thoughts on that. You know, you can make a case for that. I mean, passion doesn't show up full blown. Passion does develop more than it is discovered. So we do develop passion by doing something well and recognizing this is a good fit. That is true. However, to ignore our passions and just try to become good at something hoping that we come cash. No, I'm not going to go there at all. I know plenty of attorneys, physicians, dentists, and pastors who have proven their ability to do what they do extremely well. And they hate the life they've created for themselves. No, just because you have the ability, this is something I break this down in 48 days to the work you love. You need to have three areas that you know about yourself that blend in order to have work that really is fulfilling. Those are your skills and abilities, 
But we tend to put too much emphasis on that. Just because you have the ability to do something does not mean you should invest your time and energy doing that. Plenty of people have proven their ability, but again, created lives that they hate. So we have skills and abilities. Yes, that's important. But number two is personality. What are your personality tendencies? How is it that you relate to other best people best? What kind of environments really bring you to life? Is it when you're working with children, elderly, or with ideas and concepts rather than people? Are you extroverted, introverted? No right or wrong, good or bad. It's just as you understand that about yourself, then you want to look for environments that embrace that. So we have skills and abilities, personality tendencies. The third area is what I call values, dreams, and passions. Those have to be integrated. You can't ignore those. So do I think that you just choose something, become good at it, and you'll ultimately be passionate about it? No, not at all. I think that's a very weak formula. I don't think there's enough in that that'll end up giving you a a happy, fulfilling life. Andrew from Charlotte says, where do I go and what do I do? I know working for others is not a good fit for me, but I don't know what to do on my own. I continue to try and further my education, but now I'm in my 30s. And I still have no idea what I want to be now that I have grown up. Any suggestions in your mid-30s? Well, in your mid-30s, just like I was talking about, Andrew, you ought to have enough information about yourself to look back and get some clarity on what are your strongest areas of competence, your skills and abilities. What are your personality tendencies? What are your values, dreams, and passions? What are those things that keep popping up where you see recurring patterns? Being in your mid-30s, you ought to be able to see some recurring patterns and trends. So you say, ah, it's when these things come together that I really feel like I'm in the zone. It's when I'm these things are in place that I really feel like my heart sings. So yes, you can do that. You know, you can, you say you're still furthering your education. I mean, you can further your education by reading books, going to workshops, talking to successful people, travel. Be careful about paying college fees to further your education when you don't have a clear goal in mind. I mean, the process of personal introspection and exploration can be done in better ways than sitting in a classroom and regurgitating textbook content. And goodness knows we've heard enough stories about student loan debt where somebody now has $80,000 in student loan debt and discovered that they don't want to go in a direction that was defined by their academic program at all. So don't get yourself caught in that. If you're not sure, do other things to give you an education other than paying for college fees. Tim from Austin says, I'm 22, newly married, working part-time, attending community college. I've been taking classes on and off for a few years, but with no clear direction. Picking a major has become an extremely difficult decision for me. I'm passionate about creativity. I'm a musician and an artist. I have some skill in audio recording. I enjoy creative problem solving. Not only am I passionate about creating, I also enjoy helping others be creative, enhancing it and capturing it for them. Ideally, I would love to make my living doing the, all of those things. However, I don't know if the pressure to make money would make these activities less enjoyable to me in the long run. Also don't know if a degree in any of these areas is even worth the money. I appreciate your advice. Any advice you could offer? Well, Tim, here, Trust what it is that you love. But now here's the approach avoidance situation you've set up. Remember that 
approach avoidance conflict that you studied in psych 101 in college or whatever. It's, it's a five, my five-year-old granddaughter, you know, wanting to reach up to the cookie jar and get a cookie jar, but knowing that if she does, she's going to get her hand slapped. Now that's not going to happen in not on Papa's house, trust me. But let, let's just say that if that were the situation, that is an approach avoidance conflict where you, you know there's something there that you want, but there's going to be pain or risk involved in getting there. You've really set that up. In the, You suspect that doing something you love for money would then remove the enjoyment. If you really believe that, then the safest thing to do would be to find something you absolutely hate, but do that just to make money. Well, no one would really admit to doing that. I mean, I found it's a lot easier to make money doing the things I love than to just try to tough it out doing something I don't enjoy, but I'm being responsible and I'm not going to ruin the pleasure of the things that I really enjoy most. I mean, just do the things that you truly enjoy. You're going to be surprised at how money shows up in unexpected ways. Do that. Jason from Tulsa says, I love the podcast and how you inspire people to pursue their passions. My wife and I have been wanting to start a nonprofit group that will host an annual children's music festival in Tulsa. We're passionate about music and our three-year-old son loves music as well. We want to create a fun environment where kids can experience live music and develop an interest in the arts. The problem is the expense of starting a nonprofit. The attorney is giving us a discount, but it's still over $3,000 just to get nonprofit status. I considered Indiegogo to help fund the startup cost. Do you think this would be a good way to raise the money to start and maybe offer advanced tickets? Thanks for all the work you do. You've been a great inspiration. Well, thank you, Jason. I'm going to be as gentle as I can be here in helping you frame this idea. For, for one thing, you, know, you mentioned Indiegogo. Now, Indiegogo is one of the crowdfunding programs out there. Great one. We used Indiegogo when we launched Wisdom Meets Passion. The book had a lot of fun with it and offering different packages that people could get and they could come to our book release party, which people did, or they could come and spend a night at the sanctuary and go to dinner with Joanna and me, which people did. So anyway, we had a lot of fun with that. But people, in as much as when people provide funding on those sites, it's called a contribution because legally it has to be called a contribution. You aren't having them invest in your business. So we have to call it a contribution. But the bottom line is, Ultimately, people provide money because of what they're going to get. So you can have a really good idea. I, uh, there's a couple out there right now I'm real familiar with. I won't give you their sites because I don't want to embarrass those people where they have a really good idea, but people aren't going to just donate money because you have a good idea. They're saying, what's in it for me? So if you've invented a new watch like they did with Pebble Watch, you know, yeah, people will contribute money because they're going to get a really cool watch. So it's not a good plan for this kind of idea, but I think you've got to, you want to have a, a music festival, you know, for kids in Tulsa. Great idea. I think you have a good opportunity to drive yourself crazy and never have your idea be successful because you want to start a nonprofit. Now just think through this with me and see if we can make this, make my logic hold up. Most people starting a nonprofit are admitting on the front end that the idea won't stand on its own. So we need to prop it up because it's not a real business idea. That's hard to get money 
if this idea won't make money, won't stand on its own, is it really worthwhile enough then that somebody's going to donate where giving money here is more important than stopping sex slavery in Indonesia, as an example, or in providing clean water for people in Africa or providing a school for kids in Haiti? Is it worthy of my donation dollars? Well, rather than put yourself in that quandary, and I think you're going to have a hard time getting people to make that decision. Well, I'm going to just donate money to these people. They're nice people. They're doing a fun thing. No, I think you're going to have a really hard time with that model. Why can't you just make it a business? Forget the nonprofit status. Nonprofit will drive you crazy with the regulations, the things you have to do to conform to that. Just make it a business. Why can't you organize a festival where you get sponsors because they're going to have promotion that they're so it's marketing dollars. It's not donations. It's marketing dollars that you're asking for. And then you sell tickets and you have, you know, the water slides and the things and you have, you charge the kids to go through those things. So it's a fun event, but make the thing self funding where it not only covers expenses, but also provide you a profit. I mentioned, a little bit ago, you know, Braun Lyde, who is hosting the Chick-fil-A LeaderCast. Well, Chick-fil-A is a worthy organization. They do this LeaderCast. It's teaching people leadership principles. You know, why don't they just do that as part of their donation, as part of their giving back to the community? Well, no, they make a lot of money with that. And the people who host that event in their locations should do that same thing. They should make money. It should not be some kind of a ministry that we have to beg for dollars. Now, again, with that, you can get sponsorship money and the people who are smart and hosting do exactly that. You get, you may get somebody to provide the facility at no cost because they're going to get promotion. They have a a big area that they want to rent out. You're going to bring in 350 business people who are looking for conference areas that they could use for other events. So it gives them free promotion I mean, you can put together the whole thing, but in a way that'll make money. And I would suggest that you do the same here. Again, I think you'll have a really tough time in this environment trying to make that a nonprofit and make it successful at all. Dana from Tempe, Arizona says, I've made the mistake of staying in a job that was comfortable, good pay, close to home, seniority position. Now I feel it's too risky for me to start something new. I just adopted twins and we also have a three-year-old at home. Would it be smarter to park here at the comfy job for a while, or do I charge forward and accept a new offer? I work as a software programmer, and the new opportunity sounds great to me in terms of professional challenge. On the other hand, I don't want to be selfish and introduce the risk of a new job to my new family situation. Well, Dana, let me be the protagonist here. Why is the new job a risk if it's a good match for you? And the counterpart to that is how is staying in your current job not risky? It doesn't matter if you've been there for three years or 20 years. You are interviewing for your job every single day. You're being evaluated in terms of do you provide enough value to continue paying you? I mean, there's a a quotation, Roy Vaden, who's a, a 
brilliant young guy, a friend of ours. We had him as a speaker on our Wisdom Meets Passion cruise a couple weeks ago. And he wrote the book, Take the Stairs. But he has a concept that I absolutely love. He said, you don't own success. You only rent it. And the rent is due every day. Now, the same is true with your job, any job. You don't own it. You don't just hang your hat up because now you have a job. You only rent it. And the rent is due every day. I don't think taking a new job that you have researched, they want you, is any riskier than staying in a job where you feel like it's comfortable. The question still is, every single day, are you providing value to the organization in a way that they feel like it's a fair trade-off for them to give you a paycheck at the end of the week? So, no, if you got a better opportunity, I don't think that the fact that you are changing your family situation has any bearing on that forge forward with a new opportunity if it's a good fit and moves you up well i need to take a breather my gosh trying to barrel through all the great questions we've got as always thanks for submitting those if you got a question you want to shoot it in just go to the 48days.com website click on the podcast link and you'll see there that you can Add your question to the mix here. I'd be delighted to consider it for an upcoming podcast. Incidentally, I ought to add too, you know, I talk about the 48days.com site and certainly we have a lot of information there, a lot of resources there. There are a lot of links to other resources that can help you on your path, moving confidently toward your dreams. But then we also have the 48days.net community. That is just a phenomenon that I stand back in amazement every day as I watch the hundreds and hundreds of interactions that are going on. So I provided, it's like I provided a great big circus tent and people just come in from all over the place. You can enter at any point, get involved with people that have common interest as yours, hang out over in your corner of the tent and have all these cool things happening. I mean, some of the things that I shared today, like Andy Traub is doing, Brand Law, and I and others are doing are as a result of them being involved in 48days.net community. Now this is a business network where these are people looking to move confidently in the direction of their dreams and they're sharing ideas. They've linked arms with others who are on the same path and are showing each other how to do that with excellence. So if that's something that interests you, I mean, nobody's a success on their own. Sometimes I think we give the wrong impression about people who are entrepreneurs or freelancers, somehow working on their own contingency workers, independent contractors, whatever, that that they're somehow complete in and of themselves. My goodness. I mean, the, the, the things that I don't do well far outweigh the few things that I do well. I have to link arms with other people whose skills complement my own. One of the ways you can do that is by being part of a community where there's a whole lot of skills represented. I mean, there are people every day in there saying, Hey, I just wrote this really cool little ebook. I know it's got great content, but I need a killer cover for it. Who can do a cover? I don't know anything about graphic design. Well, you're going to have 10 people raise their hand and say, man, I can do that for you. Or here's a resource that I used. That's what we look for. That's what's happening at 48 days.net. Well, Brian from Lebanon says, I've recently discovered, now listen to this. This is one of those, a lot of you have hearts 
of service, ministry, you're humanitarian, I mean, godly, I mean, I run into people all the time who have skills like this. But Brian presents the quandary that we're often faced in wanting to do things of service and giving and ministry. He says, Dan, I recently discovered I have an unusual ability to counsel teens and young adults, specifically on spiritual matters. I've had teens approach me for prayer and counseling, as well as some parents say that there's something unique or special about me as a spiritual leader. I've resisted the idea of going into ministry for financial reasons, and I don't see it as an option at this point due to the school debt that I currently have, and I don't have much of an interest in going back to school for another degree. So my question is, is there any way to profitably utilize these God-given skills without going back to school or living on beans and rice? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, and God bless. Well, thanks for your sensitive question, Brian. I think you can utilize those skills in meaningful ways by continuing to volunteer as you're able. I mean, there are a lot of things in our lives that are meaningful components other than what we do to create income. But to force counseling teens to be the primary source of your income, that's a big challenge. And in fact, you just may be a better counselor because you have a broader perspective than just sitting in a church office all day. Don't, don't kill the golden goose. The very thing that may make you attractive as a spiritual leader is the fact that you are out here successful in your own life, right? And that you can teach these kids to be leaders in the situations that they find themselves and will in the future. So just because you have the skill and the affinity, the draw to that doesn't mean that you stop everything else and make this the primary focus where now you have the added responsibility of having this generate income. I mean, that is destroyed. Now, I know this may sound counter to what I said a little bit ago where somebody was concerned that if I do what I love, I'm going to lose the enjoyment of it. Well, there's a piece of that here. But there ought to be things in our lives that we do just out of a sense of caring, compassion, and giving. We don't always want to just take those things directly and turn those into the way that we make money. There's nothing wrong with having a a core career, a legitimate core career means of making money that is not connected to that thing that you're describing here. And I suspect this is one of those situations where, yeah, I would, I would urge you to be cautious about saying, okay, I have the skill, the desire, the heart for this. Other people are affirming this in me. So I need to stop everything else that I'm doing. No, I mean, like in many things we look for and solutions, not either or. And I think this is one of those situations. Hanno, Hanno from Mobile, Alabama. Dan, thanks for your instruction, wisdom, encouragement, and vision. You give so freely. You, Dave Ramsey, and Michael Hyatt have saved my life. I will forever be in your debt. I'm on day 35 of the 48-day schedule, and I've recently started contacting companies in other cities and other states. Do you think this is wise, or should I only look in my neck of the woods? My disc profile said that I'm a precisionist, so I'm task-oriented, I'm getting a little frustrated and scared that nothing has happened yet. Well, no, there's nothing wrong at all with looking in another area. 
I mean, certainly I would hate to think that because you grew up in a particular area or have lived there for 10 years that you're now somehow trapped there that the only opportunities you have access to are the, no, you can go anywhere you want to. And really the components of a job search are not complicated to do it in another area. You're in mobile Alabama. If you want to live in Seattle or you want to live in Colorado Springs, doesn't matter. You go through the job search just as I lay it out in 48 days. If you're using that schedule, you're right on track. The only thing that is an issue at all is the actual interview. Now, a lot of companies are doing initial screening through phone interviews anyway. It doesn't matter if you live in the next block. So that's not really an issue. When it gets to the point where they say, we want you to come in and spend half a day here, meet the rest of the crew, you can tell them, hey, that's fine. I plan to be in that area two weeks from Tuesday. Would that work for you to come in on that Tuesday or Wednesday? I mean, just handle it as a very matter of fact thing. Yeah, you don't live there now, but you're looking forward to being there and you can make arrangements to come and interview. But that's going to be at the very tail end of your entire job search process. So no, go ahead and look wherever you want to. Not unreasonable at all. Well, David says, I'm working on revising an ebook. I wrote in order to create a print version. It's a very small booklet on how to go about learning a foreign language I remember hearing you say that in the beginning you released certain publications in ring binder form. I'm trying to decide whether a project this small is worth going through a publishing services company or simply having the layout and printing done myself. Obviously the distribution and marketing would also be on me in that scenario, though I'm aware that I'll have to do a lot of the marketing, whatever route I take your thoughts. If you've got a small ebook, it really is not going to be a fit to try to go through regular publishing channels. Now you can go through something like uh, CreateSpace, a division of Amazon as an example, where you, know, you can do that. I mean, just get the Kindle version out there. You don't even need to produce a physical copy. I mean, that's what Andy Traub did on his book. I don't think there's a, I think it's only available as a Kindle version. His little book on early risers that he made 15,000 bucks in the first 50 days. Yeah, just go that way. Do that yourself. Don't com compound the complexity by trying to go through established publishers. They don't really yet see the value in little ebooks unless you're a very established author and this is just kind of an addendum to something you've done as a major work. But no, just do it yourself. It's there's no obstacles to do it that way. You're right. You're going to have to do the marketing anyway, so just jump in the game. Have fun. Do it yourself. Mike says from Columbia, Maryland, Dan, I know you've moved around quite a bit in your life. I struggle. I'm, I'm, I'm single. Why did I put in there? I'm single and currently not a fan of the area I live in for several reasons. I'm wanting to move, but I'm uncertain as to where. Can you please discuss the process you go through to decide where to move to a new area? Do you visit the area before deciding? And if how much, what do you look at if you do visit things? You know, yeah, yeah, we've, we've, moved. I've always enjoyed the, I enjoy the process of change. I mean, even where we live now, now we just had crews out here most of last week to do a spring tune up on our property. We have, you know, 10 acres just outside of Franklin, Tennessee. We love this property. We have the sanctuary on the backside and then our main house 
you know, up in the front part of the property. Um, we have nature trails that go all the way through here. I mean, it looks spectacular right now. If you're, if you're coming for Innovate, well, this, that's this week. My gosh, you couldn't hear this if you're coming for Innovate. But the gang who are coming for Innovate, uh, I mean, we wanted it to look really spectacular, and it does. So I love where we are. But would I be up for a move? Sure. Now, the fact that where we live is currently so tied in with my work in that we do have the sanctuary here. I mean, it'd be a pretty major step for me to move somewhere else. I mean, we've lived here longer than we've lived anywhere in our lives. We've been here 12 years. That's a long time for, for Dan to be any one place. So I enjoy the process of moving. When we move, we look for, like when we moved from California back here to Tennessee, we did essentially a Ben Franklin close where we just drew a line down the page and we'd list a certain place and then we'd list pros and cons. And that's how you sell to somebody. If you're selling a set of encyclopedias to somebody out late at night in somebody's home, you do a Ben Franklin. What are the pros? What are the cons? And hopefully the pros are going to win and they're going to write you a check. But we do the same process. So we were looking for a place that had seasonal changes, but not real harsh winters or summers. Well, that kind of puts us in the Tennessee, Kentucky, North Carolina, South Carolina area. So we knew that. We wanted to be near a major airport. Gee, Nashville is that. Nashville puts us, there's some statistic, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's like within 500 miles of 90% of the population of the country or something like that. So it, it's really a connected place. There are a lot of cultural things here. It's within a day's drive of family, not in the same state, but a day's drive. So we have access if we need it, but not in the backyard, which we wanted, which, which we, we wanted to not be in the backyard. So those are the kind of things we looked at, but it was totally lifestyle. We, we never had the discussions about where we're going to live. I mean, in terms of the house we're going to live in, my gosh, any place in America, you can find a gorgeous place to live. And we never had the discussion about what am I going to do to create income? That was never even on the radar in terms of us discussing where we were going to live. It was, what do we want in terms of lifestyle for this next move? I mean, we moved to Southern California because we didn't want to grow old wishing we had lived in Southern California. So we moved there, spent four years there. It was a blast. Then we decided, eh, it's, it's a cool place to be. A lot happening. A lot of, my goodness, the business opportunities were amazing there, but I didn't want to get up every morning and walk outside and rub my eyes because of the smog. I didn't want to spend 30 minutes in traffic trying to get to any place because the traffic is so bad. And we were there working during the week and then we'd take off in the weekends. We'd go to Lake Arrowhead or Palm Springs or Lake Powell. And I thought, well, this is nuts. Why don't we live somewhere when we walk out the backyard where we want to be rather than having to drive two hours to get to where we want to be? That's why we live where we live now. Now, do we talk about moving? Yeah, absolutely. We were just in Florida and Joanne saying, geez, this time of year, February, March, I really like the warmer weather. What about moving to Florida? Hey, we've had those discussions. That's not off the map at all. So those are the kind of things that we look at when we're considering new places to be. Let me grab a couple more here. Sarah from Austin, Texas. Hi, Dan. I've had a corporate job now for several years. However, I recently decided to follow my heart. Got certified as a personal trainer. Recently cut my hours in order to work at a gym. 
I got the studio job through a connection with a friend. So I took it even though paid less than other studios because I figured this was the best I could do with no experience because I figured this is a field that is dependent on who you know, especially since I live in a city that abounds in gyms and personal trainers. But now I wonder if I should have searched more and found a better paying gym job than I, or did I do the right thing considering my lack of experience and competition? I already am taking a big pay cut to begin with. Any thoughts would be greatly appreciated. Well, Sarah, your success as a personal trainer is going to be based on you personally very quickly. It should not be dependent on you just being a fixture at a local gym. You're going to want to build your own reputation. I mean, this is not because you're just an addendum to the equipment they've got at Gold's Gym down the street. No, this is because people are seeking out Sarah because she's so amazing as a personal trainer. So recognizing that, see yourself as self-employed, as an independent person, entity, independent company already, even if you hung your hat temporarily under somebody's gym name. But you want to build your own brand, your own clientele list. So in that sense, it's not going to make a lot of difference which gym you are a part of, you know, pretty quickly. That being said, was it a mistake? No. Go ahead and take advantage of where you are. Don't just bail and jump ship if you've only been there for a little bit. Go ahead and just stay there. But very quickly start to do your own promoting, you know, your own advertising, getting referrals from people. You may have people. Here's an example. Joanna and I get massages every Friday afternoon, have for years. We have the same massage therapist. Now we started by going to her studio. She was upstairs over a beauty salon and we went there for a couple years. But once we decided she was the person that we wanted, I proposed a new plan to her. Her name is Denise. I said, Denise, you're paying, she was paying 30% of her income to the salon. You're paying a big chunk of your income just to have the privilege of being in this facility and they refer you a couple of people. We're your customers. We're not customers of the salon. We're your customers. We want you to be our massage therapist. How about if you come to our house? We have a table. We got our own massage table. She walks in. She doesn't have to carry anything in. I mean, she brings in her, you know, lotions and creams, but we have the radio set up, the lights, the sheets on the massage table, the whole thing. All she does is just walk in and she gets a hundred percent of the money rather than 70%. I mean, is that an attractive deal to her? Yeah, you better believe it. So we've been doing that for years now. You can do the same thing. You should not be dependent on being in a particular gym. Now, certainly, if you want to use particular equipment, there may be some tie-in, but you can do a lot of personal training where you're not dependent on what the salon has to offer. And I would encourage you to look for those kind of opportunities. You know, there's a question that, and I'm not going to, be able to get to it, but there's a question and I'll make sure that I start off with it next week. But where somebody says, I want to make sure that I'm training my kids who are seven, 10 and 12. How do I help them discover and develop their passions and God given and unique God given abilities? I want to do whatever I can to avoid imposing my own ideas and opinions on them. Anyway, he said he just read wisdom meets passion. You talk about raising Jared in a way that allowed him to develop his uniqueness how do you do that? Oh, love that question. We, I'm not going to squeeze that in in 30 seconds. So we'll start with that next week. Anyway, 
That is it. Dan Miller, your host here. Thanks for being part of this amazing journey that we're on, this amazing family that we're in called the 48 Days Community. This is where we encourage people. Yeah, you can change your life. You can change the direction of what you're doing. You can make major decisions in 48 days. That's enough time to assess where you are, get the advice and opinion of other people, choose the best three or four, do a little bit more research, choose the best one and act. That's what we're all about here changing the direction of your life in 48 days and starting on that path directly toward your dreams that we talk about. And this is where we talk about, not only talk about, we're doers. We're not just talkers, we're doers where we're finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, productive, and profitable. Let us know what you're doing as you approach your dreams.